Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. Launching an emergency response isn't easy. Executing a programmatic response, sharing evolving interventions with key stakeholders, and working with partners to leverage help where it's needed and when it's needed most is complicated work. But when done well, and in partnership with organizations vested in your impact and your response results, you can set the foundation for a relationship that generates results for years to come. Since 2015, Save the Children and Amazon have partnered to provide children and families with essential supplies and services during times of crisis. And today, they continue to work together to tackle some of Earth's greatest challenges for children. They leverage Amazon's leadership and customer obsession, innovation, and supply chain for good, and Save the Children's expertise in children. In today's episode, I'm joined by Sarah Thompson, Save the Children's Managing Director of Corporate Partnerships and previous Director of U.S. Emergency Programs, and Abe Diaz, Amazon's Principal Technical Product Manager of Disaster Relief. We talk about how they're combining their expertise to revolutionize access to disaster relief for children in the U.S. and around the world, and all of their tips on how to build your own programs and advance them. Whether you have a lot of experience launching emergency or crisis campaigns, or are just at the beginning of thinking about how response might look in conjunction with a critical partner, you'll learn a ton from this conversation. And if you don't work in disaster relief or crisis response, the lessons learned and tips shared in this episode are still beneficial to a variety of partnerships and cause areas. In today's episode, we'll explore the key opportunities for organizations that are partnering in times of crisis and the unique challenges those types of collaborations represent. How Amazon and Save the Children took their work from national to global. How they partnered to respond quickly to the needs of children during the onset of the war in Ukraine. Strategies for ensuring buy-in for a large and varied group of stakeholders. How to best work with cross-functional colleagues to align on shared goals. How to best partner in advance of and during crisis response. And Sarah Abe's biggest piece of advice for partnerships of this type. And with that, let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Save the Children. Hi, Abe and Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you both here today. Abe, would you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Amazon? What I do at Amazon, I lead disaster relief for Amazon. Um, basically, I help get the right products to the right place at the right time, typically after natural disasters. Really important work. And if you had to pick one thing about you as a person to share, what would that be? Um, I would definitely say I'm, I'm a computer engineer by trade and I'm Puerto Rican. That's kind of how I landed in this job. I think I've been okay. enough hurricanes in my life to know what disasters look like. And Sarah, what about you? Who are you and what do you do at Save the Children? I am a former emergency responder. <laughs> I led Save the Children's U.S. emergency team for several years prior to bringing my love for building partnerships over to the corporate partnerships team. So I'm really excited to have the conversation today. And in my current role, of course, I'm privileged to lead Save the Children's relationship with Amazon, in addition mm-hmm. to leading what we call shared services. So that's all the good stuff that make for bigger and better partnerships like employee engagement, skills-based volunteering, workplace giving, and product donation. And outside of work, what's one thing about you? I run regularly for fun. Nice. I know not, not, not <laughs> everyone agrees with that or, or likes to do that, but it's the way that I recharge my battery. I like that. 
Okay, so we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. Abe, one of Amazon's leadership principles is customer obsession. What is this and how does it inform your social impact and your disaster relief partnerships? I think for me, customer obsession is a little bit different, right? Like, who's my customer? My customers are nonprofits like Save the Children and the Red Cross. So it's really understanding how they operate, what they do, why they do what they do, and then being able to work backwards from that and come up with solutions that um, help them achieve their goals and us support them. That's a yes. I really liked that description. Okay. So your work lies in disaster relief, as you said already. What is it about Amazon that allows you to respond quickly in an emergency? I think um, different from other companies, we're, I guess, particularly integrated, you could say, which means with okay. products, we have the logistics and we have the people power, right? So we can put all those three things together and help build a, a solution for, for um, our nonprofits. And talk to me a little bit about, because you have logistics, you've got expertise, you have products. Talk to me a little bit about geography, because you're not just in one place. And I'm guessing that that helps as well. Yeah, we're we're a global company, definitely. Uh, we have fulfillment centers in India, Europe, United States, many parts of the world. So it also helps us that we have boots on the ground, if you want to think about it that mm-hmm. way, or assets that will help us you know, move things around. There are certain parts of the world where we don't, but even when that's the case, we still are able to get stuff there. Um, but being able to have a physical presence allows us to, you know, just have a place to pack and have, you know, a right. place to pull inventory from, things like that. You can't do that if you don't have the location or you at least need a partnership to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are both opportunities and, of course, challenges present in crisis and emergency response. Sarah, what are some of the opportunities? We'll start on that side. What are some of the opportunities that lie in this space? There's many opportunities and I'll say that no one wants an emergency to happen, but no. The the idea that, yes, there are many things that can come from it that are good. So, for example, everyone can relate and participate. So, whether you've experienced an emergency yourself, maybe a family member or friend has has experienced a crisis, or maybe your corporation has employees or customers that are affected by an emergency, it can really rally humanity to take action and really shines a light on how we can help each other. Um, I think another opportunity really lies in the in the opportunity to... Innovate. Uh, often the challenges of emergency and crisis makes us think of new ways that we can adapt. How can we do things quicker? How can we do things better? And I think we all saw some of this in the, particularly in the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic and how we really transformed education, for example, overnight into virtual classrooms or for Save the Children, you know, an example of this is how we created a camel library to bring learning supplies to remote parts of Ethiopia. And you know, maybe the the third or the most obvious opportunity is that emergencies are often a highly visible moment and a really great opportunity to raise issues that might otherwise be under the radar. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And one of the things that I'm thinking of as you're saying this, emergencies, at least a really highly visible component of it at the time of recording, it's a hurricane in Florida. There's an immediacy in that moment. But the crisis doesn't end. The disaster relief work and the the long-term, I don't have the right terminology, I'm sure you do, but the long-term effects continue. And so I would probably add that another opportunity is helping in that moment and then saying, how can we make a long-term commitment in this space or help before a disaster happens? Would you agree with that? That's an excellent point. And I think we're seeing that come into play even more now with a, a changing climate and more frequent, more intense emergencies. 
And it's actually something that Amazon and Save the Children work on together is, for example, how are we positioning goods? How are we working together to make sure we can get to the right people in those um, situations, helping children and families quickly as possible? And to your point is, it, these crises don't go away overnight. These are long, protracted events, and they have cascading effects. So, you know, whether that's refugees fleeing or a long-term hunger crisis, that's the the uh, outer effects of the Ukraine crisis, for example. Uh, so really being able to make a long-term commitment together that you're not just there for one point of time in a transaction, but building that relationship of, of preparing and responding together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are the opportunities. Abe, what are some of the challenges and how do you overcome them? I would say challenges are very close to opportunities for us. <laughs> um, challenges are speed, right? Disaster happens. Uh, I get ping very quickly. Like, what what are we sending? What are we doing? I'm like, nothing. All done. I need to listen to what are the unmet needs. What is it that they need on there? They sometimes don't or Y and C, but they need A, B, and, and C, right? So for for me, it's being able to to manage sometimes the the flow of requests that are coming in with what we can what we can do, or at least being able to say, hey, like this is what is needed right now. That's what we're going to send. We don't want to create a second disaster. I don't want to send. That's the term I was just thinking about. I learned that I think from at a podcast with Alex Diaz from Google.org, or it was a conversation with Jim Alvey from Good360. But the everybody has the best intentions. But if you send things that you don't need, you create more of a problem. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. No, no, no. It actually comes from, there's an article about it. It's called The Second Disaster. It's all about unwanted donations that end up in disaster places and, and how these uh, hog warehousing space, how they consume resources to people who are on the ground. That, that shouldn't be the case. So we really try to be the best partners in sending the right selection, exactly what was been asked. And also the challenge I would say is speed, right? Sometimes a very remote area or um, just the logistical challenges make it uh, a, a very difficult situation. So for us, it's like, how can we how can we package things better? How can we do things ahead of time? And I think that's a lot of what Sarah mentioned. Like we've been shifting our approach and seeing what we can preposition and have it ready instead of having to like pack it after something happens. Can you give an example of something that you're prepackaging to have it ready? We can talk about saying the children, that makes sense. Uh, Everything from like diapers, supplies, baby products, toys, anything that can help you, um, you know, set up that that location, that side comfortably and and with all the things you need for for the the people who are going to come there. For other organizations, it's different. And that's what that's something that we do that um, something that's misunderstood is I don't have like an open catalog that I'm going to send to a disaster. No, we've worked really hard with every nonprofit to find what are the items that they have a challenge finding, what are the items that are going to make their operational teams faster on the ground. And that's what we're packing and pre-positioning. So for one organization, it might just be tents and water filters. And then for the other one, it might just be, you know, diapers and toys. It really depends. And so it's really, it's about a conversation and a relationship with that nonprofit partner to say, what do you really need? How can we get there? And it's, it's a collaboration instead of a, here's some stuff. Good luck. One thing that I noticed is a lot of times they say like, uh, you know, is every disaster the same? And everybody says, like, no, everyone is, each one is different. And then what we notice is over the past five years, eh, data suggests different. Um, okay. A lot Say of, more. Yeah. A lot of the items that we are being requested are, are, I mean, more than 80% are exactly the same. So we've been able to use data to also say, hey, this looks like something you're probably going to need uh, regardless. And mm-hmm. it usually is uh, spot on. Okay. So we have a couple components here. One of the other ones that 
I'm thinking of is another challenge is probably or maybe an opportunity is flexibility. There's so much that changes. Would you both? I'm seeing nodding heads. Yes. Okay. So that sounds like both a challenge and probably an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, A key component, just as a mentioned, you know, emergency can be different from 12 hours into 24 hours and you have to remain adaptable and flexible. And again, I think that goes to what we were just saying about building that relationship. There has to be this open line of communication and, and being honest with each other so that you are able to adapt in real time to actually meet the needs of the children and families as they are experiencing them. Um, otherwise, you're, you're, you're missing the point. You're not really getting, you know, supporting the people in the way that they needed the most. So let's talk about the crisis in Ukraine. If I understand correctly, you deployed a joint initiative in 24 hours. Sarah, what enabled you to get off the ground so quickly? And what was it about Amazon that made them the right partner for Save the Children? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, Save the Children had many partners during our Ukraine crisis response. And so I just want to say thank you to all of our partners for your outpouring of support during this incredibly difficult time for children and families. Um, For Amazon in particular, we were able to launch so quickly because of our relationship and history responding to emergencies here in the U.S. So everything from Hurricane Harvey to supporting Afghan refugees, we have established trust. We have certain ways of working and we have a lot of lessons learned that could be applied in the global context. And what really bolstered our partnership during Ukraine was that Amazon came again with this multifaceted approach. The idea that in addition to corporate donations, it was going to raise visibility to consumers, it engaged employees, it leveraged technology, and perhaps most importantly, it brought its core expertise in logistics and supply chain to really help address operational challenges. And this increased Save the Children's capability to provide critical supplies to children and families when they needed them most. And, you know, similar to a point we were just discussing is what made it work is we were willing to work side by side. At one point, we were meeting daily or twice a day to make sure that we could stand up the response. We held hands, we were honest, we were adaptable, shared feedback in real time. And I think another important point is that we agreed from the beginning that we were going to take the long view. We weren't talking in terms of days and weeks. We were talking in terms of months and years. And this was really important because we knew that this was going to be a long-term response. And it really helped ground our planning. There's so many pieces that I want to dive into here. I wanna, <laughs> we're going to start with stakeholders. So Abe, during a challenging time, you needed buy-in from key stakeholders for an international program, a global program that would provide support in a war zone. How did you achieve this? Our experience, honestly, has been in, in natural disasters. That was part of our the past. When 2021 Afghan and 2022 Ukraine, when this refugees crisis happened, it was something we were not used to. Um, but the situation was so large that we said we have to, and and and, and that's why. If I'm going, to, and not only that, but the situation was so different from everything we'd done before that I said, if I'm going to try something new, I'm going to try with a partner that is willing to experiment with us and say was one of them. So for us, the the buy-in from stakeholders really was um, was minimal. Was understanding, hey, this is something that's going to impact a large amount of population. This is something we haven't haven't done before, but we are one of the best people, best positioned to help in this situation. And, and once we got leadership from the U.S. and, and Europe uh, aligned, it was just, you know, mission is a go. It's incredible to have that support from a leadership team and have that buy-in. 
if you were a listener who might be in a, an earlier phase and doesn't yet have that buy-in and that support, what advice might you give them for getting to that stage? I think that happened because we had a proven tra- track record. Uh, it's when mm-hmm. we we started with smaller disasters. We understood how to find the right products, how to get the products to where they need to go, to understand how truck logistics work, to understand how plane logistics work, that sort of stuff. So, so being able to start small and start early is key. So that way you build right. trust with your stakeholders and say, hey, we, look at what we've done before. I feel like we can do this for this other one. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, Sarah, that goes back to what you were saying as well, as you had this history of doing it nationally that you could then, and the lessons learned, that you could then implement on a global scale. Sarah, what about you on the flip side? How did you ensure buy-in from a varied and large group of stakeholders? First thing I want to say is carefully. <laughs> I mean, there are, This there is are, a good point. There, I mean, there are challenges and a lot of points of view to be considered. Um, but ha- as Abe mentioned, we were able to show our previous successes. We did have trust that we had built in our responses in the U.S., but we were also able to connect the proposed activations to the key needs and goals of the response and how this is really supporting goals across so many divisions, across so many countries, both short-term and long-term. And I think one thing that made it more digestible is that we were able to communicate that if at any point the partnership was no longer meeting the needs of the response team, the, the real needs of children that we were able to step away or take a step back. And Abe, I believe in Amazonian language, they call this a two-way door decision, right? The idea if it's no longer working, you can step back out. Mm -hmm. And in our eyes, we had little to lose and a lot to gain. And some people were more comfortable than others, but we had to push ourselves out of our comfort zone because the potential for increasing our impact and learning something was there. So in crises like these, and Sarah, you'd mentioned this a little bit already, but situations keep evolving. How you respond in the first 12 hours might look completely different from how you respond the following week. How, well, Abe, I'll give this to you since Sarah mentioned a little bit. Abe, how did you manage the ever-changing situation to ensure you were doing the best work possible and keeping open lines of communication? I think you mentioned there were times where you were meeting once a day or twice a day, but tell us a little bit more about that. I think what's key for us was understanding that disasters are a life cycle, right? There's response that's immediate within 72 hours, relief, that's probably where we're best at. And then recovery, which takes months or years sometimes. For us was being able to say without judgment and being really authentic, like, okay, say we understand this is a extraordinary situation. We're going to start with cash. This is what you need right now, immediately, so you can start getting organized, start getting the troops moving while we figure out what are the products that you're going to need, while we figure out where you're going to need those products. Because Ukraine was one of those situations where people weren't, um, it wasn't a large amount of, of people in a single location, right? Like in other crises. It was everybody everywhere all over Europe. So being able to understand what is the best way for us to distribute um, was one of the challenges that took a while. So we we understood that for every phase of it, like we could provide support in different ways, you know, cash, product, et cetera, logistics, and understanding what that flow would look like. Okay, so we've both talked about lessons learned. Sarah, what's one of the things that you learned from responding to the Ukraine crisis that you would implement in other work going forward? Just one thing. <laughs> I'll say that we learned a lot. <laughs> we'll start with one. <laughs> I'll say that we're still learning. Um, I mean, I think one thing we're reminded of, again, is just how many levers can be pulled to leverage support. Our partners have so much to offer across employees, customers, technology, 
uh, logistics in this case. But one thing that I think was really different about Ukraine was just the outpouring of support that we saw from employees across many of the corporations that we worked with across workplace giving, volunteering, peer-to-peer fundraising, even the desire to do learning events, you know, kidding certain supplies. And I, I think that's just a lesson learned to continue to think about how we are not just activating at the corporate level, but really engaging at the employee level to make sure that they can feel part of that response. I think that's such a good point. There are so many different components, assets, levers, whatever you want to call them, that each organization brings to the table. And it's how can you leverage those, mobilize them, and bring in the various people that want to be a part of this in a way that's helpful for the ultimate end goal. Abe, what about you? What is something that you learned during the Ukraine crisis that you would take and implement going forward? It was being flexible and understanding that everybody wanted to participate. So at the same time, we had to give a chance everybody to participate. Thankfully, Amazon, not only do we have really passionate employees, that poured their heart into this operation, but we also have incredible customers that wanted to participate. And us being able to find ways to, you know, create wish lists and have them participate with product too. It was a way for everybody in the community to feel like they were part of this because that's what we wanted. Um, so we were able to, like I said, not just cash and products and corporate donations, but also involve our customers, involve technology that we've never done before, including like AWS. So Everybody wanted to be part of it, and we had to find opportunities to say, "Hey, this is this is where you're probably a good fit for," and and then have them just go nuts and say, "Like, go, go, deploy what you are best at for this one problem that we just figured out." Mm-hmm. Okay, so your organizations have worked together for seven years, Sarah. You have a longstanding relationship, and thus much of the legwork and infrastructure to act quickly. How can an organization and how could listeners partner together to respond rapidly if that's not something, if they haven't been partners for a long time? What advice do you have around this? Even if you haven't been partners for a long time, I would say prepare. <laughs> Talk to scenarios. What could happen? How could we work together? Where could we have the greatest impact? And just a reminder, it's okay to start small. Pilot test, improve, learn. It's actually something that Save the Children and Amazon does very well together. And we've done it a lot over the years. And that's how we've gotten to where we are today. And I mean, I think particularly maybe from a nonprofit perspective is don't get stuck in the ways that you've always done it. I think particularly during stressful times, it's easy to revert back to old ways of working, but to really maximize on each other's strengths and expertise. Um, And we mentioned this before, but just from the beginning, just create that sense of trust and respect because you have to be really honest from both sides. What's working and what's not is the only way you can really get the whole picture of what potential really exists. So many good points in there. Okay. So on a little bit of a different note, while your work is your work together is impressive and incredibly impactful, what makes it successful isn't necessarily unique to Save the Children. And I don't mean that as a dig, but much of it is essential regardless of cause area. I'm seeing nodding heads. What is the best piece of advice, Sarah, that you ever received or given related to this work? Again, I've, I've received a lot of really good advice over the years, but I, I think I'm going to stick with the classic and it might be something that you've heard before. It's, it comes from an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And the short of it is, is we can't solve the world's toughest challenges alone, not just save the children, not just Amazon, not just save the children and Amazon together. 
So again, how are we moving from these transactional partnerships to these transformational relationships where we're really leveraging our collective strengths and going hand in hand to go the distance? Um, it, it takes collaboration. It takes time. It takes learning. And, you know, it m- might take a little bit of failure to, to be able to get that learning that you need. But it probably will. But, you know, it's something very powerful about coming together across the NGO and public and private partnership space. Um, it's not always about competition. It's from competition to collaboration. Collaboration is going to work better. Exactly. Ave, what about you? What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received or given related to this work? Um, I'll, I'll start to, um, I'll start with, with given. Um, we've donated over 20 million items, right? In 95 disasters. Make it easy. As an organization who's <laughs> help, right? Like I, and I, I'm saying this because I got two emails within 10 minutes of each other, two organizations, lovely organizations, all of them doing incredible work. And one of them is like, send us everything you have as much as you can, right? And then the other one is like, I need this, 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 and this quantity if you can get it by the day in that quantity if you can, and you can get it by the other date. And here's the address, here's the person to call for deliveries. One of those emails is going to get acted on a lot faster than the other, right? So be very specific and in, in clear with what your needs are and how you think this partner will be able to help you is the advice I would give organizations. And then on the personal side, I would say, you know, I, this is not something I ever studied for. I never expected myself to be the work I'm doing right now, right? I just, I've just been building software all my life. Um, but volunteer. If there's something care about volunteer this is how i started in 2017 i volunteered for when we did our first relief flight for hurricane maria and i loved it so much i said i want to do this all the time so if you have ways to volunteer within your professional domain or or just personal with your time to do it so you learn what you like what you don't like and then you can double down on that as as you know as you wish well, as Sarah said, I think we could have a 12-hour long episode just on tips and ideas and advice. But unfortunately, our time today is coming to a close. So Sarah, where can people learn more about Save the Children and your work if they'd like to do that? You can learn more about Save the Children at savethechildren.org, or you can follow us on Instagram at Save the Children. Okay. We, and then Abe, what about you? Where can people learn more about Amazon? Best place would be about Amazon.com. That's our blog. And if you search for disaster relief there, you'll find all the articles related to the work that binding this. Wonderful. Well, we will put all of that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Sarah, Abe, thank you so much for joining me and sharing the kind of the ins and the outs and the advice and the different components of your programs and how you work together. It's been a really insightful and inspiring conversation. My pleasure. Thank you, Allie. And to all you listeners, thanks for joining us. And we hope to see you on the next one. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Brander and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.